Hi friends, welcome to this week's episode of Knowing God with Heart and Mind. I'm Pastor Dan. It's my privilege to lead you in this visit to the virtual church classroom each week as we uh, seek together to know God with all our heart and mind. It is, I hope, also an opportunity for you to know God's heart and mind a little better. That's our goal. That's what we do each week as we join together in this virtual time of study. We are presently in the Christian Believer course, uh, written by J. Ellsworth Callis, published by the Cokesbury Publishing House in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. We're very fortunate to have this material at hand, but keep in mind that this is not the actual official course, and rather it's just a a sort of hybrid discussion version of it that I have adapted for the purpose of this podcast. We are in week six, or lesson six, of our course of study, and today's topic is providence. That is, the way that God is involved. But before we begin, let's uh, share a few thoughts about life and community And then we'll pray and begin our lesson. This week in southwest Indiana, the August weather has continued to be unusually cool, although the last couple of days have had a more typical uh, stickiness and uh, excessiveness to the heat and uh, and yet we're not complaining because it has been the exception rather than the rule this year. So we're grateful for that. It's also been uh, a week of returning to school for pretty much all of our communities in this area down here where we live around Jasper, Indiana. And uh, it's been a week full of uh, surprises uh, for those of us who are part of the community of faith called Shiloh United Methodist Church. It is a week where we have been planning and preparing for a celebration of life for one of our senior members who was a decorated World War II veteran and someone who had earned all of our respect in so many ways and for whom we are grateful to have known him and to to have uh, had this time to, to celebrate his life. And we were looking forward to that even as we were grieving his passing when suddenly and completely unexpectedly one of our staff members died. And so now, instead of preparing for one funeral, we're preparing for two, back-to-back. And uh, needless to say, this sudden and unexpected loss of a staff member has hit all of us in the church staff hard because it's one of our team. It's uh, one of our friends and co-workers, a person we talked with every day. And we literally talked with him before he went home for lunch, and then he didn't come back. And this is, a, this is a sad time for us, and yet it's also a time for us to see how much we need each other, how much we depend on each other for the teamwork that makes good things happen in our community, especially in the church at Shiloh. And I've welcomed this as an opportunity to know the people that I've just come into community with recently better as we grieve together. But the truth is, we'd rather have our friend back. Nevertheless, we do covet your prayers for this person's family, for our family of faith, and uh, 
as uh, we, the pastoral leaders of the church, as senior pastor, it is going to be my honor and awesome responsibility to try to lead our church through this process of mourning the passing of two of our beloved members and uh, to learn how to cope with our shock in this uh, sudden loss. So be in prayer for us and understand that part of what happens when we seek to know God with heart and mind and to really understand God's heart and mind is that we get to put these things in perspective. This is a, uh, an entirely reasonable way to, to think about God as the one who makes even tragedy and sudden loss somewhat easier to bear because we have our faith, but more than that, we have God's faith in us. We have God's heart and mind to depend on. God is ever trustworthy and true and worthy of our praise and our confidence. And so, friends, as we get ready to study the nature of God's providence or the way that God is involved in our lives, we can keep in mind that He is deeply involved, that God neither male nor female, is entirely involved in our lives, even at times like this, maybe more so than we realize. So let us pray. Holy God, once again, we come together to pray and learn and study and think together to apply our critical thinking skills so that we can know you with our heart and mind and to know your heart and mind. We thank you for being with us and providing for us in so many ways that we take for granted. And we particularly thank you for your provision during this time of sudden loss and grief and shock. And we thank you for your provision in family and community and the the people of God that have become your family through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who saves us and redeems us and covers our sins so that we can be in your presence as your sons and daughters. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord, that blesses us and protects us and watches over us and enhances our lives like the very blood that flows through our Christian being. Oh God, we are so grateful, and it is our pleasure to seek your heart and mind now as we study together. When we're in trouble, we want God to be involved. At other times, we're not so sure. A God who is involved in our world is at times highly to be desired, but when God seems to intrude in our plans or appears to be on the side of our enemies, providence becomes a little bit pesky. God's involvement is rife with questions, so... We have to ask ourselves, does God play favorites? Is this divine involvement a kind that could destroy our human freedom? And where does providence end and coincidence begin? And what part do we humans play in the activities of providence? Is God active in history? And if God is, in fact, involved in human affairs... Does what we do really even matter? Or is God always in control? These are the kinds of questions that we'll ask and try to answer today. Providence, this word that describes the divine intervention of God, or God's 
active presence in creation is our topic for today, and it is a word that can mean different things to different people, depending a lot on the level of their commitment to their relationship with God. A politician, for example, might say that uh, we rely on providence and is uh, basically trying not to say God in so many words, but is at least acknowledging that there are powers and forces and uh, influences out there that even a politician can't control. On the other hand, a person who is walking in faith daily with God and chooses to believe that God is actively involved might just as easily say that the fact that they were not in the particular place where an accident occurred or if they happened to have found themselves able to meet a certain need at a time when it otherwise seemed unlikely, they would call that providence and they would give God credit for an involvement in their lives that was uh, not unexpected but uh, unpredictable. And so we have in providence a term that means everything from divine guidance to God's provision of actually giving us what we need, like manna, every morning for us to eat. So when you were reading your scriptures this week, how did you see God's providence or God's presence in the lives of the people described there? In Genesis chapter 50, did you see that everything God provided and intended to do was good? That God did so out of faithfulness? It is a reminder to us that when we speak of faith, it is often in a selfish way, but if we are honest about it, it is more than anything a little bit of confidence on our part and a whole lot of faithfulness on God's part. Faith is, like courage, something we do in the face of the unknown and uh, in the midst of something that is frightening to us because we can't predict the outcome, we experience God's faithfulness. And it is in that way that our faith grows. And so faith is something that usually begins with a daring leap into the abyss or the unknown. And and when you are provided for or taken care of by God, your faith in God's faithfulness increases. When you read from Psalm 139, you were probably reminded that God is everywhere, always, and in all things. That continued when you read from Isaiah that God was and is uh, sovereign over everything. We talked about that in the previous week as we looked at names for God and and uh, the very nature of God, that, that one thing that God can do by way of provision that no other being can do is related to God's sovereignty or authority over all of creation. As the one who created it and controls it and sustains it, God can provide in a way that only God is able to. We see in the reading from Hosea, God's compassion, 
God not only provides out of faithfulness and a certain character quality that uh, represents God's unique integrity and permanence, but uh, it's also because God loves. God provides because God cares. And we see that very plainly in the story of Esther, one of the best-known stories that uh, even non-Christians and non-Jews are familiar with because it's a wonderful story of God's providing for the people even while it is also a story of tremendous courage and faith. When you read from the Gospel of John, you were reminded by Christ, the Lord Jesus, God's Son and our Savior, that God abides with us in that God loves us. And that was affirmed in the letter to the Ephesians in stating that it's all part of God's plan um, in the sense that out of love, our Heavenly Father, like earthly fathers and mothers, is leading toward a goal for you and God is making provision for you to reach that goal. Then in the letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul reminds us that we can have great confidence in God, that, that we have in God an entirely dependable and faithful uh, love and protection that is like no other. Again, kind of redundant, but the point that, that it makes to us is, is that, uh, you know, like so many things in our lives that we take for granted, God is always faithful to provide. I hope you prayed daily as you were going through the various lessons of the scriptures and as you were contemplating the ways in which God provides for you. And uh, I'd like for you to think of it in terms of of God's faithful love in your own life. I want to encourage you to think about how this idea of providence is a, uh, a kind of, of term that we don't use very often anymore, but it is something we experience probably more frequently than we're even aware of. Think about it in these terms. You were sheltered from the storm when it came in the night. You were kept cool in the heat of the day, and you were fed, and you had the choicest of foods in many cases, and you were safely delivered to and from your destinations as you traveled, and you were able to rest in the confidence that when your little child went off on the school bus, they would come back again later in the day. Now, these are all things that we don't take lightly and we don't take for granted, and yet we are fairly sure. And when those things don't work out the way we think they will, we cry out to God, where are you? Where were you when I needed you this week when our co-worker died suddenly. There were questions. Why, God? Why didn't you preserve him? Why didn't you 
give him some warning sign or give those of us who were near him some warning sign so that we might be able to get him the help that is needed. And so when provision comes from you, we take it for granted. And when provision doesn't come from you, God, we have a tendency to blame you. And so the question of providence is a big one. It's a big question. From a human point of view, the doctrine of providence means that God cares and that God's divinity is not so aloof, but God is actually involved. In that letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul said to you that uh, we can know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Do you suppose the sudden widow of the one who died this week is feeling that all things are working according to God's purposes? And so, how do we deal with God's apparent absence when we don't get what we think we need or don't get what we want. Paul reminds us that we know that's a faith statement. That means that this widow and those of us on the staff and in the church are no doubt saying with a mystery and, and uh, sadness But yet, God knows how to take care of us even when sudden tragedy comes. That God has not abandoned us. We know that God will provide even in this moment. And so, providence is something that we take in faith, but it's also something that with our spirit and mind engaged, knowing God with heart and mind, We must think rationally. Uh, In many ways, this Wesleyan concept of thinking of God in terms of heart and mind is a reminder to us that feelings are unreliable, that feelings are an important part of being human, but they should not be in charge. Why someone told me just this week, and I believe it was a, another beloved coworker, said, you know, feelings are great servants, but they're terrible masters. Feelings are great servants, but they are terrible masters. In other words, our feelings are part of the very essential elements that make up our being, but they should not rule our being. How often do we see that happening in our lives and the lives of people around us? We must reason and think. We have to use our critical thinking skills. And so when we think about this subject of providence, we have a tendency to emotionalize it in a way that only makes God more distant. Rather, what we can say is is that surely God, who has dealt with our sin and reconciled us through Christ so that we would not be uh, cast to hell and eventually cease to exist altogether in this judgment that will come, is aware that there is going to be uh, the death of our bodies and the end of our time on earth as we understand it. And this is no mystery to God. This comes as no surprise to God. This is, in fact, God's... uh, God's most fundamental 
uh, act of love and grace, which is to give us this existence that be that goes beyond the substance of our bodies and our existence in time and space as we understand them. And so to reason and think this through, one can say pretty confidently that God is not absent even in the sudden death of a co-worker, a husband, and a father. God is in fact present and involved even at that moment. For at the same moment, a family and a church and a staff has suddenly lost a loved member of their team uh, and, and a friend and a father and husband, that, that when this happened at that very moment, not only was God present with those who are now experiencing the sudden loss of this person through the death of their body, God is also present with that person as his soul enters into the presence of God. For God, those two, those two things are not exclusive of each other. For God is present in both places, in both ways. And so we could say with confidence that God provided the safe passage of a soul from a temporary existence in a temporary body in time and space into the timelessness of God's presence doesn't comfort us here on the ground very much at all because we just miss this person and we need this person as a part of our lives and there's a hole left there there's an emptiness there and yet God says but I have provided a way so that you will not be permanently separated from this person I provided a way for you to be at one with this person in some not so far away time and space outside of time and space I should say and uh, so you know we're getting a little philosophical and deep here but if you follow my reasoning we can emotionally experience God's providence or the lack of it or the apparent lack of it or we can experience it with heart and mind and we can recognize that no one gets out of this alive that all of us die All of us will, at some point, expire, and it will either be a sudden thing or it will be after a long and fruitful life, as it was for the other person we're celebrating this week. And at that moment, that person's soul leaves the body to decay here in time and space and enters into God's time and space, or absence of time and space, in a transition of existence that's providence now to bring it back down to the real nuts and bolts of the living we find ourselves wondering why we don't always get what we want or what we need wondering why God doesn't intervene in our world at times when we really want and need for God to intervene and the question always comes back to whether or not God should. And at some point, when we don't get what we want, are we honest enough to acknowledge all that we have received? And if my experience is anything like yours, then you can understand with me that there have been plenty of times where I saw God's providence quite plainly in the rearview mirror. 
whereas my life progressed forward, like I drive down the road in my car, and I'm concentrating on the road ahead and dodging the various obstacles on the road ahead and, and obeying the various traffic signs and minding the safe transport of my passengers from one place to another, I occasionally glance in the rearview mirror as another part of that process. But it is when I'm stopped and I can really study what I see in the mirror that I begin to understand what's behind me. And perhaps a better way to put that analogy would be that there are those times when you've driven a great distance or even walked a path somewhere. And then having reached your destination, you turn around and come back. And though you're on the same road, you are now walking the road with a different perspective. And you see things along the way that were there when you were coming from the other direction but you didn't see them. And this is what God's providence is often like. When we see it, we see it after the fact, and we see it in a review. And so to really appreciate God's providence, one of the most important things we can do is take a look backward to count our blessings, as they say. Remember that old hymn? I know if you're young, you might not know this one, but there's an old hymn called His Eye is on the Sparrow. The original text was written by uh, uh, Sevilla D. Martin and uh, Sevilla D. Martin. And uh, what a wonderful hymn. I've heard it many, many times sung uh, beautifully and not so beautifully, but the words remain absolutely elegant and poignant. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Let not your heart be troubled. His tender word I hear, and resting on his goodness I lose my doubts and fears. Though by faith he leadeth, But one step I may see, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Whenever I'm tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him. From care he sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. Providence is one of those uh, forces of God's nature and God's being that is also evident not only in individual lives but in communal lives. It is evident in the way that God relates to nations. And this is a powerfully profound and important idea in light of the current political situation in our country and in the world. You know, uh, there aren't many people who will agree about the better Uh, a choice for president and which one should have won the election and so forth. There aren't very many people who want to talk about it, especially in friends, in relationship with friends and church friends especially. And so we don't talk about it very much. But 
what I really want us to think about is, is how even in the most unlikeliest of ways, we may be witnessing God's providence. I don't know. I'm not suggesting a political point of view when I say this. I'm really talking about a big concept, and I'd like you to go with me there for just a second. Whether or not you like the person who became the president of the United States, perhaps one day in the future we'll look back and see in this person's election and in some obscure way how this person was God's providence for our times. You know, when you read about Esther, what's that wonderful, fantastic line that Esther says to her Uncle Morty? Perhaps it was for such a time as this that God put me in this place. That's providence. Recognizing that God has orchestrated so many things. And as I've mentioned to you, as we talked about God the Creator, that there are many times when we see people who do not love God, who even reject God, doing things that God has divinely given them the ability to do. In other words, we see people who don't love God, who reject God, using gifts that God gave them in order to do things that only God can do and we can only do because God made us in the image of God. Art, science, discovery, healing, all of these wonderful things that we aspire to because like no other part of God's creation, we have aspirations that are like those of God. A love for creating, for example. And so, in the same way, God can, for God's purposes and for the sake of God's people, provide for our needs even through the most unlikely sources. And the question then about providence is, is how do we know and trust that it is, in fact, God's will that's being executed through this particular provision? Well, we do that through prayer. We do that through a constancy of study and communion with other believers so that we rely heavily on the very heart and mind of God or the character of God. And in the same way that you might say, uh, receive a package in the mail that says it's from someone that you know and trust, and you wonder, you know, should I open this? What, you know, what, what if it's some kind of a bomb or something, you know? And uh, you look at who it's coming from and what the characteristics are that make it seem like it is like a, a trustworthy package. I, you know, most of us are receiving Amazon packages on our doorstep uh, every day or frequently throughout the month and year. And uh, one of the hallmarks, one of the very things that we look for to know that we've received the package is, first of all, we expressed a need we found what we were looking for on their page in the, on the internet. We, we ordered the product. We were told what to expect and when to expect it. And then when it arrived on our doorstep, it came in a box that we recognized, packaged in a way that we've come to trust and expect. And when we opened the box, what did we see but what we thought we would see? Now, God's bigger and better than Amazon, but 
if you could know God as confidently as you know the process of ordering and receiving things from Amazon, then I'll bet you you'll recognize God's providence when you see it too. In the same way, we can determine whether or not the source of our blessing or our providence is from God because that person carries with them or that circumstance or that source comes carrying certain hallmarks of God. You may not have ordered it. You may not have requested it. But at some basic place, there was a need for provision that you were aware of or that was coming in your life and you weren't aware of it. And yet God foresaw that. God provided for you. And then when it came, it was signed and sealed and delivered by God. And you'll know that when you see it, if you're in tune with the Spirit of God. And maybe not so much if you aren't. This is another way to look at providence. Now, as we've looked at the lesson that Dr. Callis has prepared for us, there is one other aspect of providence that we need to consider before we're done. He refers to the term as election. This is a touchy subject, and I have to admit that if I were not uh, trying to be consistent in my integrity, I might have skipped it. But that's only because if I don't speak plainly and clearly, I might lead you to get the wrong impression of how I feel on this topic. The Bible makes it clear that God chooses certain people for certain things at certain times and then gives them the certain gifts that they need in order to accomplish God's purpose. This, too, is a kind of provision. And in church speak, we refer to that as election. That that would be best described by using an example. So let's take Abraham. Abraham is the father of our faith in so many ways, both for Jews and for Christians, and we all kind of know his story if we're uh, somewhat literate with the Bible and and, uh, religion. We know that Abraham was this guy who was called by God to take his family and all his possessions and go off into a faraway land to establish a people of God. And, you know, we think, why did God pick Abraham? Why Abraham? Well, there are those, particularly of a Calvinist persuasion, who would say to you that God has already uh, foreordained that some would be elect and others would not. And uh, what that means to them, and probably is better interpreted by them than me, is that uh, they think that God is already aware of who's in and who's out. And that means that there are those who simply won't receive God's blessing because they weren't elected or chosen to. Now, I'm more inclined to think that there is a awareness that God has that some simply won't receive it. The subtle difference is is that it is more about who answers the call or who receives because they seek rather than those who are picked and chosen by God and those who are rejected by God. Back to Abraham. Abraham was God's man to bring this people of God into being. 
And the story, as you know, gets really interesting when it seems like he and his wife won't even be able to have a child, much less give birth to a nation that has more pieces and parts than there are stars in the heaven or sand on the beach. And the question is, why Abraham? I would put it to you this way. Again, this is the nature of God's election process, in my opinion, and with the support of some scholarly uh, sources from, uh, oh, say, 15, 16, 1700 years, something like that. (laughs) Anyway, this is the idea that I would express to you. God chose Abraham because Abraham answered the call. Think for a moment that God is seeking someone who will join God in what God is doing. God says, I'm at work in your midst, and I'm doing something, and I need you to join me. I want you to join me. I love you. I need you because I love you. And, and no one's listening. And all of Urv the Chaldees, there's nobody listening, and it's like a telephone ringing on a bank of pay telephones. Now, there's an old analogy. It's like there's a telephone ringing on a bank of phones in a busy airport or a railway terminal or something, and everybody's just walking by, and nobody's answering the phone. But old Abraham walks by, and he picks up the phone, and he says, "Uh, Hello? Oh, hi, God. Really? Me? Are you kidding? And the story goes from there. It's kind of amazing. Now, I know some of us are not going to like that analogy, but I would like you to consider that perhaps God's provision is like a a gift from above or a, a, a God reaching down as, uh, as in the painting in the Sistine Chapel and sticking out God's finger and it's like, you know, who reaches back? Perhaps God has provision for you, both spiritual and material, and the only reason that you're not getting it is because you're not looking for it. This fundamental principle that was coined by Henry Blackaby many, many years ago, that we would look for where God is at work and join God in it, is all about election and providence. It's all about how God really gets things done. God's at work doing what God does, and and honestly, God's a locomotive on this train. And the rest of us would be silly and presumptuous to think that somehow we don't need to join God in what God is doing. We'll be okay if we're going downhill for a while, but as soon as we start getting into the hills and curves, without that locomotive, we're not going to go far. And we may even roll backwards, or worse, we may go crashing off of the tracks into the abyss. And so, when we think of God's providence, the vital thing to do is to recognize that God's doing something. God wants us to join with God, and God provides the means for us to join God in what God is doing. Why didn't you get what you were looking for? Why were you wanting something from God that never happened? I don't really know. But I know that when we're in tune with God, we can recognize that most often God's provision is made so that we can join God in what God is doing. Are you wealthy? Have you been prosperous? Have you made lots of money? Perhaps God wants you to take the provision that God gave you and join God in whatever God is doing. 
Perhaps you've been gifted with certain crafts and abilities, and God is wanting you to join God in whatever God is doing. And so you've, given, you've been given this prosperity and this providence and in, uh, in the way that you've been given certain gifts and skills and crafts. And, and perhaps you're somebody who has been brought into this community where we live, and, and God has brought you here as a way of provision for some other need that is only known to God. What a wonderful economy it would be, this divine economy of God, if we all recognize that God is doing something and we are partners with God in it simply by accepting God's provision and accepting our role in God's provision. And this is what I believe it means when we speak of election. That God has chosen to use you to be a part of God's purpose. And the only way that that will really begin to happen is if you say, okay, God, I'll join you. I'm with you. What an amazing concept that is. What a beautiful way to really live into the heart and mind of God with our own heart and mind. Well, as we prepare to wrap up today, I want to invite you to give some consideration to some things. Uh, When we speak thoughtfully about the providence of God, there isn't much room for the theological dabbler. In other words, if you're just uh, trying to consider God but not willing to go deep, um, then it'll be difficult for us to recognize the richness of God's provision and the richness of purpose there is in God's provision. And so this week I'd like to ask you to consider the covenant, the, the concept of providence in your life as a way that God is stretching you to make you more of a part of who God is and what God is doing. Where do you think you've seen God's providence at work in human history, in the Bible, And how about in your life, even in your work, even in some secular way that seems unchristian and irreligious? As you see it, what is the best argument for this whole idea of election being a sort of answering the phone when God calls? Or maybe you might agree with the Calvinist that it's all been predetermined. When you read the Psalms, you see the activity of God in history. Maybe you'd like to write your own psalm. Do you think you could write a psalm that describes God's activity in your history? I'd like to challenge you to do that. Now, as always, the scripture readings for the next lesson, which is God the Covenant Maker. God the Covenant Maker will be Lesson 7. I'll have the scriptures for you in the description box below this recording, and you can look those up at your leisure. And, of course, review the Nicene Creed because we are making our way slowly through the Creed. And uh, I'll provide you with all of that for next week's lesson. But as you do this week's uh, contemplating and thinking about these challenges that I've given you, um, see how it ties together with the passages you read last week. Use them as a way of informing your answers to those questions that I've posed. But for now, 
it's time for us to wrap up. I want to thank you for listening faithfully to this podcast. I'm deeply honored, and I can't begin to tell you how much it means to me to see the numbers grow. It's not about the numbers, but perhaps it's an indication. The numbers are an indication that uh, hearts and minds are coming into synchronization with the Spirit of God. I hope so. I pray for you daily, and I look forward to hearing from you about these uh, podcasts and how you have experienced them. And uh, I want you to know that if you're one of those people that's here in southwest Indiana, I'd be glad to meet you face-to-face. I'd be happy and proud if you could come and worship with us at Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. You can learn anything you want to know about Shiloh, at least to begin that journey, by visiting our webpage at shilohum.org. That's S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M dot O-R-G. And if you're from further away, thanks for being a part of this. Thanks for being an extended part of the family. Shoot me an email sometime. Let me know how you're doing. Let me know where you're listening from. You know, the analytics that come with any good podcasting uh, mechanism will indicate where you are, but I really don't know if that's true if I don't hear from you. There are some indications that someone in Japan is listening, and someone in New Zealand is listening, someone in South Africa is listening. And some people from different parts of America are listening. And, of course, there's a bunch of you here in uh, Indiana listening, and and I welcome you all. But if you're one of those people from far away, drop me a line. I'd like to hear from you. You can email me by visiting that shilohum.org website and choosing the link with Pastor Dan Sinkhorn's name on it, and I'd be glad to hear from you. But right now, I simply ask that God bless you, and keep you, watch over you, and until we meet again, God bless you and goodbye.